Dude, Daniel Fusco, welcome back to the podcast. Alan, as always, it is a distinct joy just to know you, to hang out with you. Any chance I get to be with you, I'm always like, yeah, I'll take that. I want to hang out with Alan. Man, so so good to see you. Uh, you are the only person to ever come on the podcast three times. So welcome back to the Three Timers Club. Man, I'm, I, that's humbling. I, I don't know if it's because you're hard up for guests or you just kind of like me and my fuzzy face. I don't know. All of it, man. I love hanging out. Um, man, I love hearing your latest messages. You just keep writing uh, content machine. Um, but but I would honestly say an even better man and father. I was talking about how we can really steward the calling, the influence that we have. And, and you've got a lot of it, man. Um, here's the new book, baby. You're going to make it. And first of all, when I read this, I'm just like, yes, yeah, like a, a sigh of relief. Um, you nailed it, man. You nailed the timing. Talk about this title. Like, why do I need this sigh of relief right now? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, you're going to make it. I, I wanted to kind of prophetically declare the gospel over our society, given all that we've gone through in the last number of years. I mean, like I've always kind of fancied myself like a decently resilient person. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm born and bred in outside of New York, and so like. You either you either survive or you're dead. Where I the way that I was raised, and you know, um, but I just realized that you know over the last number of years, the number of times I have either heard someone say or thought to myself, "Gosh, how are we going to make it?" You know, and 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 every time that that happens, my first thought is, "Gosh, I don't know how we're going to make it," and then my next thought is actually my faith in Jesus informs this idea. And so after it happened a hundred times, I'm like, okay, I should probably write this. Like I should probably sit down and kind of figure out like, what am I missing? What, you know, what am I hearing? What, what, what am I finding in, in the heart of God that this season of life is, is the curriculum for? And it really boiled down to because Jesus made it, you know, as followers, because I know I was not everyone who listens to this is a follower of Jesus, but but if you are, you realize that your entire faith is a story of God bringing life out of death, God bringing beauty out of ashes, God bringing uh, blessings out of seeming cursings and tragedy. That that the idea of redemption or resurrection is so core to the Christian message, and I'm like, I'm having a hard time accessing it in real time. So I want to write it about it, man. And for, for such a positive dude, and we are blessed and cursed to look on the sunny side of life a lot. And yet for such a positive dude, man, you just like punch us in the throat in the start of this book. We're talking nine 11, talking ICU devastation from COVID your mom's death, uh, near death of a friend's uh, spouse, someone you're very close to, man, when does this thing turn the corner on hope in this book? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I did condense in the intro, I condensed four different kind of hor like not horrible. Well, I mean, they were horrible, but four different very intense things because I wanted to set the stage for, hey, listen, like it makes sense with life being kind of relentless. Life is hard. I just talked to a friend just the other day who had lost her husband uh, to pancreatic cancer when he was in his mid 40s. And she and she just said, she's like, you know, Daniel, like life's hard. And, and she's like, and I've always appreciated that you're willing to go there that like, cause sometimes the faith community just wants to look at, let's just look at, let's look at the, 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 the sun rising after the dark. It's the good and, stuff. 
Come yeah, on. like let's 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 and we're and us Enneagram sevens, especially. Like, let's not spend too much time thinking about how hard this all is. Let's just move on to the fun and the light and the joy. And so, but I really wanted to start it with like, hey, like life is messy, like life is hard, like bad stuff goes down. But there there's a story that God is birthing out of that. And I think that, you know, by rooting it in real life and for me, you know, 9-11 in, in our generation, I even referenced like, hey, for some of you is when JFK got shot or I remember when the Challenger exploded. I was watching that in my elementary school classroom, you know, like these these tra- these tragic things that happen. If if we're really got our eyes on the Lord and we're and we're seeing that God kind of brings amazing things out of it. And so I wanted to begin with the hard stuff so that we could set the stage for, hey, there is hope in tragedy. There is a a story of redemption that is being written no matter what the circumstances are. And we have obviously a Bible that is full of that as well. And man, you're writing all the time. You're writing sermons, uh, creating content for TV, radio, podcasts, all the things. Um, Why was this worth your time right now in this moment that it was that crucial that you would invest so much freaking time into this message. Yeah. I mean, I always end up writing Alan, like you, like you write out of your experience and I almost always write books based on like, I'm noticing things in my own life and character that I'm like, gosh, I wish I had like a go-to resource for this. Now what's funny is, is, you know, you're going to make it unlocking resilience when life is a mess. Two months before my book came out, uh, John Etheridge, uh, Eldridge wrote a book called resilient. I'm like, now that's what I wanted two years ago. And like my book was about to come out. And I was like, but no, like I was finding over the last number of years as a pastor, as a dad, I mean, we went from having three kids in school to three kids, you know, learning from home. We were also, I'm in, I'm in the state of Washington, which was some of the most restrictive, uh, you know, kind of mandates that anybody had in the country. We, I was living in it and my community was living in it. Uh, and, and I just realized like I was having a hard time accessing perseverance and resilience and hope. And so for, for me, it was very much like, Hey, like I wish I had a resource that I could go to. And I mean, obviously I think we do a, you know, a, a word study on resilience in the Bible and, you know, but I was like, I want, like, I want to, I want to unpack this. And I found myself in talking to not only friends and loved ones and family members, but also our church family uh, here at Crossroads. I was just kind of, I, I constantly found myself reminding people of these very central things to the faith. And at some point I'm like, oh man, like I need to just kind of do the dirty work, sit down, work this out and, and, and really be able to present a resource, you know? And, and so that's kind of why it's like, I just felt like this isn't, I need this and I wish I had this. And so I'm I'll just write it if, if no one has it yet. And then, you know, now with John Eldridge as well, it's, I mean, like I've read his and I'm like, wow, that's really, really good. He takes it from a, a, a different angle than I do, which I love that about uh, the way God uses different people and, and the way people process through uh, these concepts. And so I was just really grateful for it. And I'm like, okay, good. Now, next time, I, you know, we need a resilience resource. Here it is. Mm, that's good. Uh, what was the best, most most fun, most maybe fulfilling part of this book for you to write? Well, that's, okay. So that's a great question. And so, and you know, as an author that like, for me, I'm, I love the creative part of it. So, so in some ways, um, part of it is my background in music, you know, like where it's like, I've, I've always, like, I love going into the recording studio for music. 
but I don't necessarily love like having to mix and master the music. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I love studying the scriptures, but I really love proclaiming it. You know, it's like the, the moment of creation. And so for me, the writing process is its own gift. And, uh, you know, seeing it make it to the light of day covers, you know, edits, it's not, you know, it's part of the journey. And I realized that um, I love the outcome and God loves the process, but I just really enjoyed the the discovery process of writing it because because you, you know like when you when you sit down and you're like wait this is what I think I'm supposed to do and you outline the book and you have all the pieces but then once you get into it and you're and you're literally sitting there and you're worshiping and you're praying and you're t- and you're and you're kind of banging away on the keyboard and then you start discovering things that even in your conception of what you were going to write you didn't even realize that it was there. But then you start, you get into it. And then before you know it, you're having these, for me, they're holy moments. There are these beautiful illuminations uh, of the character of God, of his patience uh, with me in my doubt, you know, uh, you know, and for some, and, and in some ways, even the process of persevering in writing a book, as I was writing a book about resilience, there was like a, a beautiful gift when I would have these mornings where I'm like, the last thing I want to do is go right right now. So like, like, let, you know, like, like I'm done. Like, like that, that the whole uh, Stephen Pressfield, the war of art, the, re, the resistance was strong. Yeah. Like where, and, and, he, and he says in that book that for the, for the writer, just sitting down to write is the victory. It's not about yeah. what comes out. It's just that like you actually get yourself there. And I, and I was finding that, that there'd be days where I'm just like, I do not feel like doing this right now. Like I want to go take a nap. I want to go just drink 87 cups of coffee and, listen to free jazz on my, on, on my turntable yes, and, and not have to produce. Yep. Yeah. It writing a book is an act of resilience. And it's uh, interesting you say that because anybody can write a good blog post, right? Anybody can pump out a song, but the idea of mastering, recording, distributing, marketing, a whole album is a whole different deal. Uh, and so that's what I always, I love doing. I bring people on the podcast here, whether I text you on launch day, like congrats, you made exist represents, like you say, about two years of work and the great irony that this is the message we really could have used during COVID. However, what's cool is that I know you were preaching that into your people live from the week. Here, here's the week and what we're going through. Uh, and so I like both of those. I like that there's a timely and a timeless piece um, to this. I'm curious, flip side of that, what was the hardest part of this book to write? Maybe the hardest section. I know just like getting the thing done and like over the over-the-counter kind of thing. What was the hardest piece of it? So the hardest piece of it for me is always the the appropriate, finding the appropriate amount of vulnerability as a communicator. And so in some ways it's like, and I, I think that because for me, I want Jesus to be the centerpiece of, of the writing that I do. Um, but there is like, I want to be real. But then there's always like, you know, and I, and I, and you find this too, because like, you know, in, in all of your books, like, like your experiences are, are, are driving the way that you're seeing this. And so there is always that, like, I want to be real, but at the same time, after you write something, then you like, you know, uh, Brene Brown calls it the vulnerability hangover. And I, I keep talking to this with pastors because I'm like, Hey, you realize like after a Sunday, like you have like a tremendous vulnerability hangover. Like, even if you didn't tell one story about yourself, you still, you still stood up there and did your best to proclaim what you had. 
And, and I'm like, and after it's over, then you're like, I shouldn't have said that. Gosh, I wish I didn't say that. And gosh, I didn't realize that this shirt does, does not like, you know, does not look good on me. I should not have worn that shirt. And, and it's like, and a lot of it feels trivial, but it's like, there's a reason why after Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel, that when he found out that Queen Jezebel was coming after him, he freaked out because it's like, he just had this huge victory. It's like a then, burnout story. He was it totally is. He had oh, literally yeah, like, had nothing. And, and you're like, how is this possible? Like this guy just called down fire from heaven, show down on Mount Carmel. I mean, like if there was a YouTube video of that, it'd be the sickest thing ever. And then the next second, he just hears a rumor that she's mad at him and he flips. And I'm like, so for me in writing it, I think it, it feels like when, when I'm writing, it feels like I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm choosing like a season of vulnerability hangovers where I just feel like I'm putting myself out there, you know, and then what's funny is, is, and I, and because it's not my first book, I realized that, you know, the writing process, you're putting yourself out there and then you send it. And, and, and like, I love my editor who I, I work with on the last couple of books, Paul Pastor, he's a good friend of mine, you know, and, and he, I love him to death. Shout out to Paul. Like, love you, bro. Yeah. I love him. Great guy. Like, and phenomenal, phenomenal writer person, you know, but what's funny is I knew that when the, when the edits come back, there's going to be like red lines through my stories. Like there's going to be like, like that doesn't make any sense. And I think you could write this better. And so you realize that you put yourself out there and then it's going to be like thoroughly critiqued by your friend who you love, who's a phenomenal writer and it's going to make it better. So it felt like I just, I, you know, you signed up for this huge vulnerability hangover and, and, and it didn't disappoint because, but, but I've also, I've also learned that uh, feelings of vulnerability talk about resilience Feelings of vulnerability should inform how we move through the world. It should not hold us back from fulfilling the purposes that God has for us. And I think that's an important reality as well, because as we become more aware of our feelings of vulnerability, uh, my fear is that people are being held back from walking in the steps that God has because of the vulnerability, as opposed to this is an important factor to be able to take into account to inform how we move through the world, not hold us back. And people have this idea that a good communicator is a one-take communicator. And it's just so helpful. If you're listening to this, you are any kind of communicator. No, this is the process, my friend. This is the process. Somebody's going to redline it. If nobody's redlining it, then we're probably getting up on stage. I mean, like a, a good comedian is testing out their material and they're like, oh, my joke wasn't as funny as it was in the bathroom. You know, and they're like, no one laughed. Like Chris Rock or whoever it is, is testing material out in small clubs, not getting laughs. Uh, and so I don't think we graduate from that process. You're a great communicator and to be able to share that piece of it. Uh, and I think it's interesting. You have this, uh, I think in life and communication, this mix, maybe a tension of being relaxed and being intentional in both of those. And I, I hear both of those in here of a, you're going to make it, but I'm not just saying that off the cuff. Like truly I can picture people grabbing someone by the shoulders and saying, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. Is there a moment in your life, Daniel, when somebody has said this or something like it to you to just be like, you're going to be okay, buddy? Yeah, there's been a lot of those. And and I talk about a lot in the book about how it's important to have, you know, godly, you know, light and bright friends 
people who really know you. So like, I, I remember, uh, I, I didn't write about it in this book. I have written about it previously. I remember when, before I came to know Jesus, my mother passed away from cancer. I was 21 years old and she was in her early, in her late forties. And it was rough. It was just a nasty situation. And I didn't have the tools on how to process this at all. Like, like, like I look at that now and I'm like, I just thank God for Jesus and his grace because like, like I fell apart, you know, straight up. It was, it was an ugly season, but I'll never forget at my mom's, um, when we had like the memorial service, there was a guy, his name is Larry Bauer. He's a good friend of mine. He he's been, uh, he's worked with the navigators campus ministry for his entire adult life. And he had been discipling two friends of mine in college. So I kind of met him because he would like come hang out with my friends and I'd be like, Hey, like, what are you doing hanging out with this old guy? You know? And like, Oh, he's our, he's my mentor. And I'm like, what's a mentor, you know, like, and, and a Christian mentor at that, I had no clue what was going on, you know, but I remember that Larry, he came to, he came to my mom's, you know, uh, uh, memorial service. And after, you know, I'm a, I'm all Italian kid from New Jersey. So I have like the hugest family in the world and there's aunts and uncles. And later you find out they're actually not blood relatives, but they're aunts and uncles. And I have like 27 uncle Sonny's and uncle Anthony's and, you know, like all the Italian names, like those are my people. So after the the memorial service, everyone's just outside of this church and hugging and crying and carrying on. And I remember I walked out and, and it's, it's, it's a mob scene. It's like 500 people, all family members. And I noticed Larry, like hanging out, like off in the distance just watching. And what was amazing was, is he stayed until everybody left. Like literally just stood there. Didn't know anybody in my family, like, except for me, he just hung there. And then when everybody was gone, he walked over to me and he put his arm around me and he said, how you doing, brother? You're going to make it. And, and I, I remember just, I started just bawling, like bawling. Larry legend. Larry about like, and, and like, and, you know, since that day, I mean, so Larry was part of my story to come to Jesus. And like, literally now, like I, I connect with Larry about once every month, every other month, we, we, we FaceTime, we talk about life and, and, and he's been kind of a, a partner on the journey, you know, uh, Alan, you, you're one of those people, you know, like every time we hang out, as we get into like, you know, marriage and family and, and our callings and steps of faith and, you know, like there always ends up being those moments over tacos where before you know it, you're like, oh man, like, you know, God's got this, like, you're, you're going to be okay. You just got to keep going, you know? And so I think that those, those encouragements, those, you know, right on time friends and loved ones and mentors who, who are willing just to say, listen, I know this is hard, but listen, this story ain't, you know, this, this is, you're in the middle chapters. This, this story is not completed yet. You're just in the lousy part of the story. You're in the part of the movie where the, the sad music's playing and you're walking down the street in the middle of the night and everything's broken. The movie never ends there, you know, but that there, it is a necessary part of any story where anything of substance happens, you know, where the chips are down. And, and so the, having those voices and those encouragements are important, very important. And if you're listening right now and you don't have that one, I think, you know, you have to be intentional about, about putting a tribe around you. And I always tell people that in order to, 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 
have a friend. You need to be a friend. You need to be there for people and, and you need to put yourself out there. And if you're listening to this, and I always say like, you know, the local church is actually one of the best, it's the best place in the world to find some good encouragement. I remind people all the time that when our lives are the worst, the local church is the best because godly people have this great way of showing up in, in, in situations that they're not, you know, like Larry did, like Larry's faith had him show up and wait, you know, uh, Nobody else who was there did that, but Larry did that. And so I think those are important pieces. Yeah. As I read through, even just in the the intro, I'm thinking this is perspective because we all hear it. It's all falling apart. Everything's broken from, you know, companies and society down to families. Uh, And it's easy to lose perspective. And I think that moment, that Larry moment is here's a little perspective. Uh, and that's what I think you're flashing at us here is to go like, this is the middle of the story. This is hard. This is painful. This is tragic. Life is messy. Uh, and like you say, life is messy. Jesus is real. And it's like, hey, in the midst of this. Um, and also, I think, um, man, it just was was sparked by this, Daniel, pain is pain. And in the middle of COVID, I saw a lot of people going, well, I'm not, I didn't lose a family member, but which is right when they're about to share what was really hard. And I remember a conversation you and I had, and it was like, we have different constraints within our family. We both love to travel and connect with people in different places and have experiences, but really to go there and influence different teams. Um, and so I didn't feel comfortable sharing my pain publicly, certainly not here on this podcast or in our Right Side of Collective, like, hey, I haven't been able to travel and speak and do that because I'm comparing that to somebody's loss that is death. And of course, I don't think that's as bad as that, but it's pain. It's lost and it required resilience to go, yeah, man, we can't be together. I can't travel. I can't leave the family. And here's why. Um, and I just want to invite you guys into that. If, if you still have the proverbial hanging chads of a pain from this season, mm-hmm. um, I do want to invite you to go to your counselor. Um, I see a counselor monthly and I just think it's really hard to move on and actually take on this kind of resilience if we haven't offered it to God. And it's hard to offer to God if we haven't said it out loud. And that's been really helpful. Like counseling has actually shaped my prayer life uh, in ways to go, dang, that helps me name something that's there. Now I can pray against and for it and actually talk to my wife about it as well. It comes out into the light, we lose shame. Uh, And so, man, I just, I appreciate your personal stories that lead us back to Jesus. Both of those are true, man. Life is messy. Jesus is real. Um, I thought it would be helpful for you to sort of pronounce a blessing over us pray over us. You are a pastor after all. So I feel like it's probably okay to put you on the spot to do that. Um, but man, I love you. I respect you. It's a blast to have you here. Um, if you're a listener, uh, and you're driving, please don't let go of the wheel, but if you have the ability just kind of put your hands out, uh, and just receive a blessing from a pastor, a shepherd. And, uh, let's just end by you praying over us and listeners, um, in, in this challenging season, um, there is room and space for hope close us. Well, Lord, I want to thank you so much, uh, not only for my good friend, Alan, and and Stay Forth Designs, and and, and just all, Lord, as we've been talking about perspective, Lord, we realize our world wants to, you know, gives us one perspective, and then the vantage point of the finished work of Jesus, the work of your kingdom, it's a different perspective. And Lord, we want it. Lord, we, we just admit that it's hard to come by. And Lord, I'm just so grateful for, I know this podcast is that for people, Alan and, and, and the coaches of the Stay Forth Network, they're helping do that. And, and local churches and pastors are helping do that. And God, 
we, we want to, you don't ask us to live in human lives, but really human lives. Lives that involve pain, they involve suffering, they involve worry and stress and fear. But that's not the only story. There's a greater story that you are working and you are with us. And God, I just ask for everyone who's listening to this, wherever they are right now, that you would open our eyes to your presence. You would open our hearts to the fact that you are always with us and that, Lord, no matter what's going on in any of our lives right now, you have the same goal, and that's to make us more like Jesus. And so, God, will you transform us in this weird, crazy, unexpected world in which we live? We want to keep our eyes. We want that heavenly perspective. We want it. We want our eyes open. And so, Lord, will you lead us by your spirit and, Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, anoint us, and empower us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Shine, shine, we focus so long.